Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. It's Roger Abel. We've got a special guest today, Casey Mushrush from Premier Investments and Wealth Management. And uh, I'm happy to have Casey here today. This this idea came to me about a month ago. I think it was estate planning week, and I thought it was going to be like a whole month. And I'm always like, no, it's a week. But I thought we should have Casey on the show today. As he is, um, I'll let him kind of tell us about what his credentials are. As, you know, I don't understand all that. But he uh, he does have um, a background in law and handles that for a lot of our clients. So with that said, Casey, if you want to give a brief introduction, just tell people a little bit about your background, how you got here, what you do and provide for our customers here at Premier mm-hmm. Investments. Yeah, well, it's been a long circuitous route to get here. <laughs> yeah, so originally... Uh, uh, well, I guess I, I am a, an advisor actually here at Premier Investment, and then I also am managing partner at Premier Trust and Estate, an unaffiliated law firm with the uh, with the Premier uh, you know family. But we are all uh, um, you know very integrated, I would say, over on that side. But again, it's it's really more about how do we design all this stuff from an estate standpoint to make sure that our clients are achieving the overall goals and the financial outcomes, you know, and it's touching all these various different areas of their lives. You know, we have these conversations all the time, the estate planning piece, the, the investment planning piece. Um, you know, if we need to put in some sort of a trust or some sort of a tax planning strategy and things along that nature. Um, yeah, so I've been doing the investment thing for you know about nine years, actually, at this point in time. Uh, started as a, I like to tell people I'm a failed life insurance agent. We all so, are. Yeah. We all uh, started it, there. That's usually how it goes, right? You, you, you try the life insurance thing for a while and realize, hey, this isn't maybe what I thought it was. <laughs> I, I, there's more. You know, it's funny. There's there's some people who've done very well and, mm-hmm. and they enjoy that. And there's really a transition that you go either to stay in this life insurance world or you kind of morph into the investment world or you help yourself out of the business. Yep. And, I, you know, I, I think one thing that, a lot of times people hear the word estate planning Mm -hmm. and there's just so many stigmas about that term and people don't really understand what it is. And I think the goal for us today is to simplify this for people and say, Hey, here's what this really is. And it shouldn't be this big, scary word because I'll, I'll ask you a question. Does it matter how much money you have? How much money do you need to have an estate plan? You need zero dollars. <laughs> Thank you. Because I think people come in here and they see the word estate yeah. planning and feel like they have to have money to do an estate plan. That's yeah. not what it is. So, you know, I think the first question I'm going to ask is what's the ba- most basic estate planning mechanism mm-hmm. that someone should look at if they're looking to start down this route? Yeah. So, and again, I think it's important that we, I'm going to take it one step back over on that side right before I get to there. And we talk about what estate planning is and what the purpose is. Okay. Right. So if we look at really what estate planning is, and again, I think there's, there's tons of definitions and that's part of the problem is it is, can be this entirely confusing thing because a lot of people may define it a little bit differently, but if really what we take a look at what it is, is it's trying to make sure that when I pass away, the things that I want to happen actually happen. Now, oftentimes, most people think that engages over in money. It doesn't actually just involve money, right? So take, for example, um, and this is kind of where you were getting at from a basic standpoint, right? If I have minor children, if I have kids and I pass away, who's going to be named as the guardian? Who's going to be taking care of those kids? 
right? So the most basic things that we want to make sure are put over into place for any anybody, if you've got some minor kids, you want to make sure you have your will, right? So as a most basic estate planning document, at least in terms of uh, things along that nature. Now, again, that's estate planning, right? It may engage in some assets. Maybe you have some bank accounts or stuff like that that you want to do some distributions or make sure it goes over to somebody. But more importantly, we name a guardian, we name a conservator, we name somebody who is going to be caring for my family members, somebody who is going to be in charge of carrying out what my overall wishes are. And that can be done inside of that inside of that will document. So in, in terms of this uh, estate planning thing, it's not just about money, but it's how do we structure things and set stuff up so that I know that the things that I would like to occur is actually what's going to get implemented or in the very least be much more likely to be implemented. Because just because I want something doesn't necessarily mean that that's actually what's going to happen. I can certainly make my wishes known, but at the end of the day, if that document is being you know, probated, if it's going through the court process, you're not around in order to go try and say, hey, by the way, it's your last will and testament. These are the things that I actually do want. You're and just, it does actually extend outside. You're basically of giving stuff. direction. To yeah, it really want. is. Some direction. Yeah. So, you know, that I think... That's really important because a lot of people believe they don't need a will mm -hmm. because they don't have anything. Yeah. Well, having anything, they're thinking in monetary terms. Yep. You have family, you have wishes, you have you're, you have some level of assets that need to be distributed. Um, yeah. Well, now keep in mind too. You know, the will is just the the thing that actually controls some of those some of those other mechanisms. Now, regardless of whether you actually have something written down. Every single person has an estate plan. Yours Every are, single person does. Yours are the states, right? Right. <laughs> it's just it's just that the legislature has predetermined what it's going to be. Correct. So really, when we take a look at you know what the will is or, or what we're trying to do underneath something like that, is we're saying, well, maybe the legislature got it right, maybe they didn't. Now, keep in mind, they're thinking in terms of what do most people want. Now, whether or not they are correct is, is you know, that's a whole other debate. Um but they, they set things up underneath a, you know, how do we think the things or how do we think that most people would do what would a, a reasonable person in this kind of a circumstance be, be doing. But every single person does have an estate plan, whether they have something actually documented down or not. Now, let's say that, for example, and this is actually part of, you know, from an estate planning standpoint, I think is also important. It actually doesn't just necessarily deal with death. Right. When we start looking at some of those other documents, like a medical power of attorney, financial power of attorney, let's say you get hit by a bus, but. You don't pass away. You just can't make your own decisions. You become incapable of making your own medical or financial decisions. There's two other documents. There's a medical power of attorney and a financial power of attorney that those people can step in and assist you while you are unable to fulfill those pieces. So those are also some really important documents that don't really deal with, you know, they might deal with some, some money things if we're talking about the financial power of attorney, but the medical power of attorney is all about medical decisions. So let me ask you a question. We have, let's say we have a... 30 year old individual, married, married couple, mm -hmm. two kids, 50,000, their 401k. Arguably, their estate plan could be as simple as just a will. Am I right? Will and a couple of the other documents yeah, I mean, we're going to talk like some other financial power of attorney, yep. but it could be that simple. It doesn't have to involve a bunch of trust work. Yep. And, and I think that's for a lot of people, Casey, especially if you look at most people out there, they think of estate planning as I have to go to an attorney, mm -hmm. spend a whole bunch of money and draft trusts and all these different moving parts. But it doesn't have to be 
that complicated, correct? Yep. That, okay. that so that's the first thing. I, I think anybody listening to this show, if you haven't done a will, that's kind of like the foundation of a house. Mm-hmm. We lay the foundation first. And the good news is if you know you need help, you can reach out to btwellshow.com. We'll get you connected with Casey so that he can help you set this up and kind of walk you through the process. Um, if you ha- So let me ask you a question. Walk us through. So you mentioned documents, mm-hmm. okay? Maybe walk us through some of what the documents are in what I would consider or what you might consider the order of importance, mm-hmm. okay? Because most documents have a, not a precedent, but maybe more important than others. Yep. Like a will is probably more important than an irrevocable life insurance trust yep. for most people. So maybe walk us through it. Some of the documents people need to have done in order of, okay, you did a will first. Mm-hmm. What are we doing next? Yep. Actually, I'm going to go before the will. Okay. Medical power of attorney, financial power of attorney. So you, so, so I you're telling us those are, those are more important than a will. Okay. Explain to our listeners what a yep. medical power of attorney is. Yep. So uh, in, in terms of powers of attorney, basically what these documents are, you are assigning or allowing somebody else the ability to make decisions on your behalf. Now, there's a reason that I say that medical power of attorney and power of attorney are actually even more important than the will. Okay. Medical power of attorney deals with medical decisions, you know, assigning somebody uh, the ability to make medical decisions for you if you cannot make them yourself, right? You're still around. <laughs> you know, the will hasn't actually taken effect at this point in time, but you may have some sort of an event that you are still with us, but you are incapacitated to the to the degree that you can't make your decisions. So let me ask you a question mm-hmm. regarding that. Are, are there two different types of medical power of attorneys? Like, is there one that, is there a durable medical power of attorney where it, it nothing happens until you become incapacitated? Then is yeah. So explain it, how that works. So there's there's ways that you can draft them. I, I suppose is really what you're saying. So there's okay. springing medical power of attorney, springing power of attorney, and basically what those are is you put some parameters on the thing to say it is not in effect until right. So unless I become incapacitated, unless I have, you know, my doctor has declared me incapacitated or, you know, somebody has signed off on something somewhere, um, you know, that document is not valid until such thing has occurred, right? That's called a springing, uh, springing power of attorney, springing medical power of attorney. It springs into existence or springs into effect upon some sort of a, uh, some sort of a, a event that has been put over on there. So now, the durable piece, that's okay. just anybody, you know, that person, if you name a durable power of attorney or a durable uh, medical power of attorney or something like that, it's in effect immediately. That person does not need your consent and they can go through and make a, make those decisions. So a durable power of attorney. So let's, let's Mm -hmm. flip to the financial portion here. Yep. We see this where, Hey, mom or dad's mentally not able to make the decisions Mm -hmm. and they give durable power of attorney to a child. Am I correct? Uh, they would do that prior to their prior to their incapacity. prior to their incapacity. Otherwise, yes. the otherwise it is an invalid document because you cannot give consent if you do not have capacity. So, also important for people listening: if you have a family member that is aging, mm-hmm. you need to have these documents set up before they get to the point where they can't make decisions. Right now, and now we now we're getting over into some capacity conversations, right? Because you know one of the challenges, and we see this periodically. You know, especially when you look at uh, either aging or, or specifically Alzheimer's dementia, 
you know, there might be days that, that mom or dad are lucid, right? They might have good days and bad days. On good days, they may actually be capable uh, of making those decisions, of being having that capacity to sign off on, on documents. The following day, they may not. And so there's some challenges over on that side of, of trying to make sure, does this person have the capacity to actually be executing and doing the documents that they're putting into place? But to your point, it's really important to do so ahead of time, right? We don't want to wait until that period where, okay, now is there a question or not? We want to be looking at this stuff where there is no no question on whether or not the things that we're implementing actually are valid or not. Okay, so are you able to give power of attorney to somebody and revoke it? Yes. I, I set you up for that question because I gave my wife power of attorney one time. Uh-huh. I was in California. We were closing on a house, and I was in California, mm-hmm. and my flight got delayed. So my wife had to close in this house by herself. I'm like, well, what do I do? They're like, we got to give your wife power of attorney to sign your name and write the check. And uh-huh. it was like a pretty big check she was writing. She's like, I've never wrote a check this big. I'm like, <laughs> the banker will help you, I promise. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to write those yeah, numbers like, out. He's like, yeah. Hey, nope, nope. Comma yeah, there. but it was just yeah. one of those things. They're like, you're, I told my wife, I said, for 24 hours, you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. So that, I, yeah, so well, I, see, and that's the other thing too. You can term them if you want. So let's say that But I'm, you have to be in the right. right. You can't be incapacitated or in like a mental yes. state, you know, because you see it and this happens. I've seen this happen where someone has capacity issues and they decide they want to change mm-hmm. who's handling their affairs because one child kind of got in their ear and they wanted to be more involved and get the other one out. And you're like, you're switching now. Yeah. Why are you switching now? Yeah. Okay. So you'd argue that anybody listening to the show, the first two documents are. Yeah. Medical power of attorney and financial power of attorney. Okay. Now, again, depending on the way that you design those things, it can be springing. It can be durable. So like my wife and I, I'm so I have my documents. I don't know whether they're, I'm guessing they're all springing where once I get sick, then my wife gets to make the decisions Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming I'm getting sick first. (laughs) If you didn't catch that. Um, (laughs) My wife works out a lot more than I do. Okay, so medical, financial, then will. Yep. Okay, what comes after that, Casey? What are we looking at doing after we establish those three documents? Those are really the most basic pieces. Let me ask you a question. Who needs those three documents? Yeah, everybody in some way, shape, or form. And that's what I want the listeners to hear. Those are the three documents that everybody should have. How, and I'm not asking for your costs, Mm -hmm. in general... Is this an expensive thing to do? An expensive, I would call several thousand dollars. Generally, no. Okay. Now, that, the, the caveat on that will come when we start talking about some of the trust planning stuff. That's where it gets a couple expensive. Of seconds. But yep. but these documents in yeah. general, to in do a general, term, it's a it's a relatively and especially affordable. in terms of especially in terms of what you're actually protecting, right? What you're actually being able to uh, put over into place, it's a relatively minor. So for a few thousand dollars, you can probably get these documents drafted. I would hope it, if for a few thousand dollars, I'm, you can do that. You know me, Casey, I'm being very conservative. <laughs> I want everybody listening has homeowners insurance. They have mm-hmm. car insurance. You pay at least that every year to protect that stuff. This is like you do it and you, how often do you review these documents? I mean, how often does someone need to update their power of the power of attorney. I'm guessing it's only update if 
that person's not making decisions for you anymore. Right. So, you know, somebody passes away, right? So let, let's go, you know, maybe on a, uh, the power of attorney documents versus something like a will, because it's going to depend a little bit on them. So let's say that, for example, uh, underneath the power of attorney, whoever you have named, that person passes away. Now, you can still name a successor, right? So let's say that, uh, for example, my wife and I, I name my wife and then I have you as my successor. And my Is wife, that how it's done? Absolutely, it can be done. I'm your successor. Uh, oh, and mine? Uh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> Casey, I don't I'm think joking. So. I, don't I didn't know we were so. that I'd close. Have to go back and take a look. I, I would let you know. Now that actually is another really important thing that I do think is really important. That if you are going to be naming somebody in some sort of a capacity on that side, you do let them know. Let them know. Okay. Now there's another piece of that too. That especially when we're talking about something like a will or some of these basic documents, there's actually some really fun case law that um, the documents giving access to the to the bank safe. Are in the bank safe. <laughs> Where's the code? Well, so I'm talking like a deposit box down the bank, and the like somebody's not listed on the box or something like that. So there's actually been some case law where I mean, essentially, yeah, we know that there's a will. We have to go find the original in, in order to go through like probate. I mean, that's what we have to try. Is that and where find you could give it like a trust officer authority to open that box for you? Well, you got to go get a court order. Okay. I mean, essentially, is what it is. You got to go get a court order in order to go get the thing. So, I mean, essentially, you're opening up a opening up a uh, uh, you know a a non testate estate in order to go get the document. So, that now you have the testacy estate. Okay. <laughs> Before we move on to the next documents, where do you keep these documents? Where's the best yeah, place to store them? Yeah, so somewhere I would say that it is accessible, that the people that need it would be able to get to them. So for okay. in my house, it's the mm -hmm. blue book. Yep. Like, you know, I, people have heard me talk. I got this blue book since my wife isn't that involved in this part of the, you know, family decision making. I just tell her the insurance, the documents, everything. Yep. If something happens in this blue book and there's a card with who she calls when some, something happens. Yep. So she kind of has a protocol without having to like spend all of her time figuring it out. So it doesn't need to be in a safe because I'm guessing if your house burnt down, the attorney who drafted your documents can get you another copy of these. Yeah, generally speaking. Okay. Now there was an old practice, and I don't particularly like it. Um, there, there used to be an old practice uh, that attorneys who would draft it would actually keep the originals, and they just keep it, you know, in in there now. They carry on some risk over on some of that that side of things, and that way, if you know the house burns down or something like that, then you still have the original. It's just over at the attorney's office. Okay. Um, you know, so with that, cloud that storage a, today, you're probably never losing this stuff, right? Well, I mean, and that's the other piece. I mean, you know, I I do make sure that anytime that we would do anything for anybody, we do keep a digital copy of stuff, but I do want them to have the originals. Um, and it's more of a observation that if they decide that at some point in time they need to go make a change and they, they can look at it, and well, and they decide they don't, they they think that I don't know what I'm talking about, and that you know that kind of a thing, they can just simply continue on and it's not uncomfortable that side. Exactly, it's just a you know, more of a quality of life. Okay, so conversation, anything else? But we got the 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 power of attorney docs knocked out. We got the will knocked out. What's next? Yeah, so once we get the power of attorney, once we get the will, I mean, in many sets of circumstances, we're done. Okay, what percent is it, it like eighty five percent of the people that that's what they need? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I might I might drop that a little bit, maybe seventy five, maybe sixty percent, somewhere over in that in that range. Um, and it actually has a lot more depending on the state that you're in. So take, for example, the differences between like Minnesota and, uh, and Iowa. In Minnesota, 
you can do real property transfers with a TOD. There's about 26 states that you can put a TOD on a on a uh, like on your real estate. Yeah, like on your real okay. estate. Like Arizona, so a transfer one? on death. Okay. You just put a you just put a transfer on death on your real estate, and basically all the person has to do is they show up over at the county uh, clerk's office. Now they're filing things, but here's a death certificate. I'm now the new owner. That's it. That's it, it is awesome. that it is that simple. So arguably, if if that person did a transfer on death on everything, mm-hmm. their bank account, yep. their house, and had beneficiaries, yep, they pretty much completely they, avoided probate. They probably they. Basically or most have of a, it. They have basically have avoided probate. They probably, you know, I mean, there's a potential. Now, I'm not going to say with a blanket statement that they don't need a will, but there is a potential that they have everything set up over on that side, that that will that they have drafted, it's actually not handling any of the financial aspects, right? Okay. It's answering some questions like, you know, do we need a conservator or do we need some of these different things over on that side regarding the kids? But it's not handling any of the financial transfers. So we just covered i think something we should explain to people what it is mm-hmm. people hear the word probate mm-hmm. they don't know what it means until they have to do it yep explain what probate is to our listeners yeah so probate is it's a court process all it is is a court process in order to transfer assets uh, from the person who has passed away the testator down to the beneficiaries or the heirs you know there's a nomenclature thing over on that side, technically an heir, which is what people always just call descendants, typically. Okay. It's actually not the technical definition. The technical definition of an heir is uh, somebody who would receive assets that are passed by intestacy. So an heir is, could be a delegee, maybe, maybe not, but that's more of a nuance. And it's the opportunity for creditors, if I'm right, to go Yeah, so, I mean, so if we look over state. on that from a probate process standpoint, you know, when we go through and we open up a probate, Basically, what we're saying is this person has passed away. Does anybody have any claims against them or not? So creditors can initiate their claims. Um, beneficiaries who would be able to receive things, you know, we transfer those assets over on that side. Once we get all the creditors paid off, meaning that that person is is uh, no longer owes anything to anyone, then we follow along that distribution list. So let's say that um, you know we have a will that was written, and in that will there's a million dollars, there's five hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt. This person apparently was pretty wild. Um, and then there's a specific gift, okay, and it says Molly gets a hundred thousand dollars, and the rest goes to Roger. So basically, what the court is looking at in that process is they say, okay, let's open up this probate. We've got a million dollars here. First five hundred thousand dollars, credit cards. Get those things paid off. So creditors get, get paid done. first? Creditors get paid first. Okay. Yep. Now we've got that $500,000 that's remaining, right? So Molly gets that 100000 directly out of that, and then the rest or that other 400000 goes to Roger in that particular instance. So that brings up the next thing about probate. If your estate goes through probate, mm-hmm. does everybody know everything you have? They can. It is a public process. So, you know, so you go down I, I think to that's uh, important because I think people if you think about our society, most people don't want anybody to know what they have. Yeah. So if you're concerned about the entire yep. world or you're in a small town, and you're like, dude, I don't want my neighbor to know what I have. Yep. Yeah. Probably it's, have to figure out a way to avoid it. it Otherwise, is, it is everybody all can over. Know. You know, it, it basically you go down to a uh, you go down to a courthouse. Um, you know, you go find reports and inventory <laughs> is what they are called. Uh, you have access to that. They are that is public documentation unless you've got some sort of a court order that is 
shielding everything over on that side. And in general, that is not very frequent, especially from a uh, from a probate standpoint. Um, you know, here's a really good example on that. Um, you know, look at Michael Jackson. Passed away. Well, everybody knows what he's got. You know, you go down to the courthouse and you could actually go look all that stuff did up. Did he die without a will? Yeah, he did. Um, Are you kidding me? Now, the interesting thing on that is that there was a big fight on um, uh, valuation of, uh, of the music. You know, that, that's actually where the, you know, you take a look at an estate or something over of that magnitude or that size. Um, that thing's been ongoing for years and years and years and those can still still continue to go over on there and they're still, yeah. Casey, that's, they keep that's fighting a, about all sorts of it's stuff. It's a fascinating thing because, yeah, I think individuals out there who aren't at the wealth level of Michael Jackson, and mm-hmm. he's not the only one. Yeah, Prince. They just assume that these guys have done everything. Yeah. I know plenty of wealthy people who've done nothing. Yep. And so if you're out there listening, you're like, well, I, you know, these guys can afford to do it. No, that everybody's in the same ballpark. Nobody really wants to do this stuff, right? Yeah. I well, mean, who wants to do this? It's not fun to figure out where your kids are going to go if you die. Well, and it's it's a, you know, I think that, and I, I've had this conversation with, uh, you know, various other people over, you know, through law school and all that kind of thing. And, and you know, we were talking about some of this stuff in, in some classes. And I think part of it really goes back over to, from an estate planning standpoint, it's, just, it's the same reason why people don't like to go through financial planning, Right. Because then you know, you have to face it, and, and yeah. I, I think that there's a a mind block over on that. And there does have a tendency, I think, in in some certain circumstances, that you know, if I go and I do this thing, I put this will in place, I'm going to go pass away tomorrow, right? And it's just kind of a mental, I would say, a cognitive bias more so than anything else. But um, you know, there's there's some other some interesting aspects over on that side that that a lot of people have a tendency to put it off. Um, you know, rather than rather than getting it put over in place. Now that being said, there's still a lot of other people that will go through and, and uh, they do take a look at, um, you know, putting, excuse me, doing that correctly and putting those things over into place. Um, so there are a lot of people that do that as well. So, I mean, again, like most things, it's a mixed bag. Um, but yeah, it, it, is a, uh, it is a little bit interesting on that side. So we're, we're moving out of what we consider everybody should have now mm-hmm. into the world of... What's the next like critical document or next step in the evolution of the estate planning process for somebody that they've done their will, they have their power of attorneys, what would be the next step or the most likely step that somebody would need to do next? Yeah, so we're, we're starting to move up, I would say, in terms of level of complexity, right? You know, we kind of got, got um, you know, from a triage standpoint, if you will, there's basically four different categories that we could put people over into, you know, fairly simple estates, that kind of thing, you know, will medical power of attorney, power of attorney, depending on your state, maybe a disposition of remains, something like that. Put these documents into place. Vast majority of people are going to need those in one way, shape or form. Move on up a little bit, right? So maybe we're starting to see, um, you know, significant assets in terms of real property that can't be transferred via a transfer on deed or something like that, right? Or transfer on death. Uh, now, when I say transfer on death, basically what that is, you can put it on financial instruments, so bank accounts. Sometimes it's called payable on death, depending on the state. But a payable on death, a transfer on death, um, beneficiary designations. These are all transfer vehicles that do not go through the estate process, right? Or they don't go through the probate process. If I have a 
will that says, I want my assets split 50-50 to Roger and to Molly, and I have a bank account that has a transfer on death or a beneficiary designation on that that says give 100% of that to Roger, it's going to Roger. Now, maybe she could come back and contest that and make, you know, make a big deal about that, depending on what's going over on that side of thing. And, you know, maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. But um, that is something that is is a uh, uh, another transfer vehicle that we can use, even underneath some of those more simplified type situations, right? Now, we move on up a little bit over on that side. We have a lot of real property that's out there. Uh, we need to uh, be looking at trying to keep things private. Now we start looking at something like a trust, right? So typically a revocable trust. And basically all that means is I set up a trust document or I put a trust over into place that is in effect while I am living. I am the trustee. I'm the beneficiary. If something happens to me, then the distribution of assets actually happens at that point in time. It's written down, uh, you know, as far as what actually happens with my assets at, at that point. Yeah. So, you know, we, we look at putting in some sort of a revocable trust and in essentially what that trust does is it effectively stands in as as that other individual, but it allows a distribution of assets and it allows a, a level of control. Now, from a tax standpoint, it actually looks no different than the individual. Um, you know, see-through trust is sometimes what they're what they're also called. If I have a revocable trust, it's a it's a legal mechanism that can hold property and dispose of that property that does not go through the probate process. Okay, so for example, I have my house in the state of Iowa. I want to own it with my wife inside of a revocable trust. I don't want to have to have the entire thing go over through probate. We put it over into a revocable trust, and then when we pass away, it says that you say revocable, revocable, a revocable, revocable. Okay. Now, a revocable trust and irrevocable trust. I'll talk about that in just a minute. So, if I own this thing over inside this trust with my wife, and and we pass away, we have a beneficiary that's listed on there as. Rogers are beneficiary. We don't have to go down to the courthouse in order to affect that transfer. Basically, we have an affidavit, you know, our death certificates, these two people passed away. Here's what the trust instrument says from a distribution mechanism standpoint. That asset now transfers over to you. Okay. Now, if there's a mortgage on the home or something like that, you would maybe receive the proceeds if you didn't want to actually take the property. Maybe you could assume the mortgage or something like that. Talk to the banker at that point, right? Um, but, you know, essentially that asset is, has been distributed over to you through the trust instrument itself. But what I didn't have to do is I didn't have to take it down to the courthouse, put it into the public probate process, and go get a judge to sign off on the stuff to allow me to do that transfer. We've signed an affidavit. We have that death certificate. We've filed everything over with the, uh, with the clerk of court at that point in time, and now the asset has actually been transferred. Okay? So relatively simple, at least when it comes over, over to that side. Now, irrevocable trust and irrevocable trust. Even in a, um, you know, I would say even kind of in this this mid-tier level of sophistication over on that side, we're probably not dealing with a irrevocable trust, at least at this point. Okay. okay. We really don't, we don't need it. Now, the that, difference that, between... Irrevocable trust, explain what that is. Yeah, so the, the revocable trust, essentially, I can revoke it. You know, as the grantor, as a person who set the thing up, I can make any changes make, I make want. make a change. Anytime. Anytime. If I want to go change some provisions over on the thing, I can go jump in there and change some provisions. If I want to, uh, you know, maybe I don't want the trust anymore, right? I, I don't want Roger to receive it, so I'm going to make a change for the beneficiary from Roger to Molly. I can go change the trust, right? It's a pretty easy thing to do it at that point in time. So it's another mechanism or another way for us to take, especially in a state like, again, state of Iowa or something like that, that if we want to 
make adjustments on the way that we're managing or doing some of that beneficiary management, it's a relatively simple way to make sure that we can pass those assets over over according to what our overall wishes are. You know, I get mad at my kid over, over Thanksgiving turkey leg or something like that, and I've decided they're completely and totally disinherited. <laughs> I can go change my trust, uh, you know, uh, the, the next day, and it's a pretty easy thing to do. Now, we still want to execute those with the same formalities as, as what we would in order to make sure that it is a valid change. But it's a relatively simple thing to do, at least when we look at um, executing some sort of an update or, or something like that over on the actual trust document itself. Now, that's different than an irrevocable trust. Okay, when I set up an irrevocable trust, which is really more of an estate, you know, it is a, a more of a complex estate planning. To transfer vehicle, to it, really, right? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, <clears throat> we set up an irrevocable trust. Essentially, what we are doing is we are moving assets out of my name over to a separate entity but I'm passing away control of that of that asset, right? When I set up an irrevocable trust or an irrevocable trust, it's much more difficult to make amendments on that thing, right? I have an argument with my kid over that turkey, uh, that Thanksgiving turkey leg. I'm probably not going to be able to make an amendment over on that trust. You're not getting the turkey leg? I, well, I'm, I'm probably not. Uh, you know, I, Maybe I'll get the turkey leg, but they'll still be the beneficiary on the trust at the end of the day too. So... Um, <laughs> But when we look at a thing like that, you know, can it be done? Yes, it can be done. But now at that point in time, we're standing in front of a judge and we're asking a judge to say, hey, by the way, this trust is either no longer efficient, so we need to make some sort of a change because it's no longer efficient, or all the beneficiaries and the person that set up the trust all agree that this change needs to be made. And oh, by the way, judge, we need you to sign off on this thing. Okay, so, so we got revocable trust would be next step on the complexity list. Yep. Who's that really for, Casey? Like, who, if you had somebody come in, who are the people or why are the reasons somebody would set this up? Because I get this a lot. Yeah. I had a gal lady the other day, the attorney recommended that she put this in a uh, revocable living trust. Yeah. Who's who's the candidate for that? So, so people listening and say, hey, maybe I need to look at this. I, I would say probably a couple different areas over on that side. And it depends on goals really more than anything else. Um, if I'm looking for privacy, right, I, I may use a trust as a transfer tool just to avoid the probate piece, right? Um, possibly a cost savings, because if we take a look at what the overall probate cost is, now again, this varies on an attorney-by-attorney attorney basis and, and some things over on there, but there is a cost to take stuff over through probate if you're hiring an attorney and, and things of that nature. Um, it may be less expensive, actually, to do those transfers in a trust rather than taking the stuff over through probate. Um depends on the situation. It depends on the size of the estate, right? If I've got multiple different properties, right, I've got a home and a vacation home and another cabin and, you know, other stuff that's over on that side. So a bunch of assets that I can't put other transfer on deaths on probably makes a little bit more sense to use a trust-based estate plan at that point. Okay. Yeah. Now, if all I have, I got my house, I got a 401k, an IRA, maybe it doesn't make sense. Right, because the only thing in that particular instance that would actually be transferring or that would be going through that probate process at that point is the house, right? So depending on the value of the house, I'll, yeah, a three million dollar home, okay, maybe it makes sense to plug that thing over into a trust. But you know, if it's a couple hundred thousand bucks, maybe it does not. Because the cost to set the trust up and maintain right. the trust, all those things, and really again, is going to make, and it's going to depend on what the overall what the overall attorney cost is over on that kind of thing, and a lot of that has typically it's going to depend on the level of complexity, you know, like a relatively simple 
Revic will trust without a whole bunch of provisions and all that kind of thing. Just kind of a, a standard, what I would say maybe more of a standard vanilla trust that would probably be used in that particular instance. It's not going to be prohibitively expensive, right? Um, you know, we're, we're not looking at a situation on that side where we probably need to be, um, you know, doing some advanced estate tax planning, right? You know, and again, that's going to be dependent on the, the state itself, right? You know, so again, I go back to Minnesota, I pick on them because they have a a state estate tax that kicks in at $3 million per individual. So, you know, you got a married couple with $5 million in assets between the two of them. May want to consider a trust-based estate plan because now we're actually looking at trying to uh, do some things that are a little bit more complicated at the state level. State of Iowa? No, we're just federal exemption. We don't have a estate tax. There's you said there. two things there that are super important. Mm -hmm. One... In some cases, and most people, when they hear estate planning, they think I'm doing this to avoid taxes. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to think that's why you do estate planning. It can be part of the estate planning. We're going right. to get to that. But I think the second thing you said there, which if you're listening to the show still or 30 some minutes in, if you're still listening, super important. If you move states, mm. what do you need to do? Yep. I mean, you go from Iowa to Missouri or you go to Iowa to Texas to retire. I mean, you move and you have residency somewhere else. Yep. What do you need to do? Yeah, you need to make sure that your estate plan actually follows you. <laughs> People think, <laughs> no, Casey, I'm serious. Nobody realizes. Nobody yep. realizes that if I move from Iowa to Arizona, mm -hmm. I may have to update my documents Otherwise, they may not be valid, correct? Right. That is correct. What, isn't that called like an alien? What's the term? Oh, like an alien will type yes. thing? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, some states will recognize wills over in other states. Um, some states will recognize wills in other states if they follow certain parameters. <laughs> so, but it goes back to the point like, here's the point. Yeah. You can figure this out. Try to be a do-it-yourselfer right. and figure this out right. on your own. Or if you yeah. move, just know you need to have it reviewed. You know, and, and the other part of that too, and, and again, that actually is one of the val one of the one of the good things about a uh, you know like a trust based estate plan, right? Because if we actually take a look at a trust based estate plan, I get to choose I get to choose the state, I get to choose the law that I'm actually subject to at that point in time. So, for example, what I mean by that is if I have a, the situs of a trust, meaning the the legal, you know, the, the legal the legal setting of the trust, if you will. You know, what sort of a law are we actually going to be interpreting and applying with that particular provisions and all that kind of thing? Um, if I wrote the thing, executed it in Iowa, and then I end up moving down to North Carolina, I can still have an Iowa trust, right? It's just subject to here's the law Iowa of laws. Iowa law, right? Okay. So in that particular instance, we actually know that even if you go down to like a North Carolina or shift from a state over on that side, you're still going to have the same parameters from the way that you actually have the thing set up, okay? Now, a will is a little bit different. Right, a will, assuming North Carolina recognizes the way that that will was established and set up in in Iowa, it may be portable. It may not. So that is definitely something that needs to be addressed or updated on a state by state basis to make sure that hey, this thing that I have is still valid. But now I now live down there, even though I executed that document in Iowa, it may actually be subject to the North Carolina law when I move down over to that side. So arguably, a trust based estate plan lets you be less responsible you know i i had not per you I had not me, actually i, I had, had not articulated that. it that way but <laughs> but it really i mean well, part of our job casey you'll agree is helping people and understanding human nature right. and 
if I pulled 15 clients that are in different states and I said, do you think your documents are still valid? What's the percentage that are going to say, well, I have a will, I'm good to go, but they've never done it in their if, new state. If or they have it that. there, 100% if they've got the will in place. Yeah. And they've moved to a different place and right. they still think they're good. Right. And I'm bringing this up because this, this happened to a friend of mine and no idea, just blindsided that, oh, wait, this might not be valid here. Yep. So I think it's super important. So now my new vernacular is a trust-based yeah. state allows you to be less responsible. Well, it, it may need less frequent updates, right? Okay. Assuming that you ha don't have any sort of a major thing like shifting jurisdictions or shifting states. So yeah, I mean, in, from that respect, absolutely. Um, now I still think it's important to monitor it and still make sure that you're doing the same things. Now, here's the other thing that you run into that could be a little bit of a challenge on that side. And this gets a little bit back over into a DIY situation. We'll, we'll probably be talking about this uh, uh, in a little bit, but um, I, I worked on an instance where somebody actually had a had a had an estate planning attorney they were working with, but they decided they didn't want to go pay the fee and they want to do all the transfers over on their own. So they went and found an online revocable trust. They went and did all this kind of thing. They did all these things, whatever, transferred property, did all that kind of thing, right? The problem or the challenge was California law. It was all based off of California law. So now we have this Iowa resident with this California trust that defines property differently than the way it is defined in the state of Iowa. Ultimately, because the individuals ended up passing away in the wrong order, they thought they were doing the right thing, but they, you know, dad ended up passing before mom, and it was only by like a few weeks. Ended up costing the family over 50 grand because they were subject to California law that defined property differently than how Iowa was. But by golly, they saved that they saved that expense for the for the attorney preparation fee. It goes back to a core philosophy of our company. Don't do things yourself. I mean, why would most people listening to this right now are going, I have no idea what this stuff is. But I can go to LegalZoom and do it myself. Yeah. No, you can't. Like you can't. Maybe do you think someone can get away with doing a will online? Like, okay, you're twenty five years old. Is it reasonable to do a will online or is it still you should seek a professional to do it? And then how much are you really saving? Like, is yeah. it significant? I, I, I think that, you know, the legal zooms and the things over on that side, you know, uh, trust and will actually is another example is as uh, another online. I actually think they're probably better than, than legal zoom personally. Um, there is some there's some advantage over on that side. Now, that being said, the, the minute that you have any sort of a level of complexity, you got to move up, you got to move up. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, if you're, if you're 18 years old and you're just wanting to go out there and you're just like, Hey, I just need to have, you know, or maybe make it a 25 year old and you got a kid, you don't have anything. You know, I, I've got maybe a 401k and I am still renting in, you know, a crummy little apartment. We haven't actually moved or done anything over on that side. I think about my wife when, when my wife and I moved here in town, right? Crummy little two bedroom apartment that we were renting. Basically, we had our vehicles and some money in the bank and, and uh, a couple of retirement accounts. We didn't need a, anything that was super complicated. You could have went, that would be a yeah. reasonable place. But yeah. as soon as you're complexity yep. level and you have any level of means, yep. we should start looking for a professional to help you. Right. Now you fast forward and then you go over into a situation where maybe somebody has, um, now maybe they still got the 401k and the retirement accounts, they've got the bank accounts, but now they've got 
some property that they own. Maybe they've got a couple of rental homes that they have as well. Maybe they've got a business that they've started or they've something got some over stuff. on that. Now they got some stuff. But see, but all of those different things, right? And, and maybe we'll talk about this, maybe we won't. All of those different things may actually have a different mechanism from a transfer standpoint that we're going to be utilizing. So take, for example, you know, the property. Maybe the property, um, maybe it actually doesn't need to go over into the will. Maybe the rental property should be set up under an LLC. Well, that's a business entity, but maybe I just tax it as a partnership, meaning that I still pass that through via, you know, basically a Schedule C over onto my tax return. But more importantly, underneath that LLC, you know what I can do with my LLC shares? I can put TOD on them inside my operating agreement if I want to. Now, I haven't actually done that from a, um, you know, either putting the thing over into a trust. It's still owned as its own individual entity and the things over on that side, but we just put TOD over on this asset that is holding the title to that piece of property, and we just transferred that without using a trust asset, right, and without actually, uh, you know, utilizing a uh, utilizing a probate process, or at least over on the will side. So there, there's some, depending on the way that things are structured over on that side, when we start implementing or we start getting these levels of complexity over on that side, I think that's where it becomes really, really important to have somebody, in the very least, look over your shoulder, Right? Maybe they don't even do the drafting, but no. you just say, hey, I want to have a... You have somebody do it for you. Well, I, I mean, that's ideal. Let, because, I mean, quite frankly, if you go pull something off of there, we're going to be ripping it up and, and yeah. writing the entire thing anyway. You pay I'll somebody, tell you that right now. If you're but, looking at a trust, go pay somebody. So we go from yeah. revocable trust to irrevocable trust, yep. which means we it's hard to make changes. Yep. What, what do you see as the most common use for an irrevocable trust? I have one of these for myself. Mm-hmm. And I have all my life insurance is in an irrevocable trust. Yep. That's why I'm leaving yeah, all so my insurance islets, money. Yeah, so islets are a very typical use over on those things. Especially like yep. the so world, the financial planning world that we live in. Irrevocable life insurance trust. Now, the other part of those two, because when we start looking at, at irrevocable trust, they can do a lot of things. Um, you know, you can use a charitable remainder trust as an example. Basically, I'm gifting assets over to charity or clipping off some sort of an income off of those. But when I pass away, they go over to a charity. Um, those can be a type of an irrevocable trust. Um, you know, keep in mind, again, irrevocable trust simply means hard to make changes on, right? Um, but yeah, an, an insurance uh, or an irrevocable life insurance trust, that is a, again, it's a, it's a transfer tool, you know? Because if we take a look at really what we're doing in a in a life insurance policy at that point in time, let's say I put $10,000 into Now, a couple of things really, really important, right? If I have a life insurance policy and then I transfer it to an irrevocable life insurance trust, and if I pass away within three years of doing that, it actually gets clawed back into my gross estate. And the reason is once you put it into that irrevocable trust, it's excluded from your estate, right? Because... You're, Unless you already own that policy and they're pulling it back in right. because of that three-year rule. Right. But yep. if you went and did a brand new one, you just yep. took it out, put it in, you're good. Now, if you did a brand new one and you put in, you know, ten grand of cash and then you purchased a life insurance policy and then you pass away two years later, that stays outside that estate. So it, how those things are set up and how they're they're created can have an implication on that overall gross estate value it, when, it, we're, when we're looking over on it, that piece. And here's why that's important for people because people don't, understand this Mm -hmm. they believe life insurance is Mm tax-free and it is ordinary income tax-free right it's not necessarily estate tax-free right and if you have a three five ten million dollar life insurance policy and it's not in an irrevocable trust it's getting added to your gross estate which could actually then make it 
taxable. Could make it taxable over the federal exemption. Now, right. just while we're on that subject, keep in mind what we have going on in tax law right now. Now, back in 2017, you know, 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, when that actually passed, we doubled the, you know, everybody knows, kind of shifted down some things over, you know, there, there was some movement over on individual tax rates. Um, the big thing that happened, we doubled the doubled the uh, the standardized deduction. You know, everybody was all excited about that until they realized, oh, but we also took away the personal exemption. <laughs> so it wasn't really doubling. <laughs> it was more of a 1.4-ish. 1, 1. Anyway, um, so we have that that standardized. Now, the other thing that they did, they, they doubled the federal estate exemption. So we went from you know, per individual, about $5.45 million that would be excluded from federal estate tax to about $11 million overnight. Per person. Per person. Yep. So basically meaning that you could, if you set things up properly, you could transfer about $22 million without actually having any estate taxes. Okay. Now, there's some nuance over on that side. Again, it has a lot more to do. It's, again, closer to that $12 million per person. Um, so we want to make sure that the ownership of those assets are a little bit different. But, I mean, right now, if somebody passes away today, the likelihood that their estate has a federal estate tax, we're only talking about these the very, very large estates at this point. However, that sunsets. That goes away. We actually revert back to the pre-2017 tax code uh, in 2026. So in 2026, overnight, we're going to go from about a $22 million, slightly higher than that, federal exemption, down to $12 million for a married couple, closer to that $6 million per individual. So I go back to a situation like that. If I've got $3 bucks inside of an IRA, I've got maybe a house that's worth another $500,000. So I'm sitting on you know, just assets in my name at $3.5 million, and I have a $3 million life insurance policy on that. I'm over that exemption, meaning that there could be a portion of that that would then be subject to that federal estate tax that, oh, by the way, it's pretty darn close to the top marginal rate very, very, very quickly. So, so let me throw a question out. We live in Iowa, mm -hmm. but we have clients in Iowa, Minnesota. We're how many states are we licensed in? 42? 40, am I 42 or 43 oh, states? It's, it's a lot. You would know because you have the same... You're like yeah, the same I, I know. Um, it, it's over I, I forty think it states. Was, it, it was forty something last time. I think. Okay, the but the, I the, don't know. They send me that. I only look at it when they send me the bill, and then I go, ah, oh, man. <laughs> but the vast majority of our clients are mm. Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas, yep. Missouri. That's the vast majority. Some in, yep. in Nebraska. Yeah. We happen to be in an area where many people and many of our clients own land, mm -hmm. and land has absolutely exploded in the last. 36 months. Mm -hmm. How is land treated from a federal estate tax level? Yeah. So, so I own, I own 1500 acres of land now that used to be worth, you know, let's call it 4,500 bucks. Mm -hmm. And now at a minimum we're close to like it. I own 1500 acres that used to be worth 4.5 million. Mm -hmm. And now at a minimum, you know, we're talking nine or 10 million. Mm -hmm. Is that all added to my gross estate? Or are there some special like rules around land from a federal estate tax yeah, standpoint? You're going, you're going right up to the top there, buddy. Well, I'm just asking this for just, I know so many people who value, are in yeah, this situation. The value of the asset, right? So that value of the assets all dumped in there. You're putting it over in there. You got the value of the asset, which now, is you could there, do some, you could do a handful of things again where, and let's not let's not get too into what we'll do because we're gonna have another show, sure. and we're gonna do this. So people listening, if you want to learn how to take care of your land, good problem. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. right? You know, your land being worth a ton of money is a good problem. We're going to do that. Um, so that's added to your gross estate too. Yep. So you have 11 million as a couple, you got $3 million in an IRA. You got some land, mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't have to be a lot anymore. I mean, you know, you have 200 acres of land you inherited. You're knocking on the door of a million five in the state of, I mean, people are buying trees for 6,000 bucks an acre in the yep. state. Saw a, saw a thing that they're starting to see an uptick in tree theft. Well, I mean, people are buying yep. it to deer hunt. That's why they're spending this money. They're not buying it for the trees. They're buying it to the shoot big deer in the state of Iowa. That's why they're spending the money. But my point is you got yeah. 3 million there. You have yourself another 200, 250 acres of land that's worth another 2 million. So you're at five already. Mm -hmm. You had some insurance. You got some real estate. It's not going to be hard for somebody to get over this five or $6 million mark. And now it becomes really important. Yep. Because if you don't do it right, you could lose what? One of your exemptions. If a husband and wife don't set this up right, you could go from 11 or $12 million in exemptions in 2026, right? Mm -hmm. To half of that if you don't do it right. Yep. And people don't realize that. Like, well, we get my wife's. Well, not if you don't do it right. Right. Well, and that's all about ownership. So I run into this a lot. Well, it's 11 or 12 million bucks today. I don't have a problem. Well, you're right. You don't have a problem. Yeah, not but, today. But what will it be in the future? What was it in 2006? 2005 what was the what was the federal estate tax exemption oh i'm i'm it's probably what four million I'm no guessing? i think it was a million bucks maybe a million two bucks over, i thought it was a high obama enough. bumped it up to five in fact i'm gonna look it up I was, but yeah I, I i don't know i was in high school man <laughs> i wasn't paying attention to that <laughs> <laughs> well i didn't know if you had to learn that in college uh, yeah here you go 2000 okay uh the exemption amounts for estates was increased incrementally mm -hmm. from six hundred and seventy-five thousand in 2001 okay so in 2001 i tell myself that's not a long time ago it was it was six hundred seventy-five thousand. but in 2006 it was two million dollars okay could we go back there we could, right? Well, yeah. Well, so interesting on that. I actually talk about this with with uh, people quite often. It's actually on about a ten year cycle, and what I mean by that is about every ten years, there's there usually gets to be about this uh, big rah rah re. We need to tax the rich and all this kind of thing, and so there's a proposal that moves it back down to a million. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it goes back to when we first started this. Who's this for? Is it only for yep. rich people? No, it's not. Yeah, it's for people that have no assets. You get your basic documents all the way to the people that have assets yep. and yep, it costs a little bit of money to protect it. But you know, we, we have a deficit problem in this country. What, who are the easiest people to tax? Yep. The ones who aren't here. Hmm. I mean, seriously. Oh, so you're a kid and mom had 2 million. You only get a million. Are you upset? I mean, kinda, but you still got a million. Mm -hmm. But if someone came in and said, Hey, we're going to tax half your money today and you're alive. What would happen? Oh, the pitchforks. I was going to say, you, 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 you pitch a fit. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we went into a lot of stuff, Casey, mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to overwhelm people, but I think the major takeaways that I got from this was if you don't have an estate plan, your plan is going to be what your state decides it's going to be. So yep. you can let the state decide or you can. Basic documents, power of attorneys, medical, financial, will. Everybody should have those. Yep. It, it, at a minimum, the power of attorneys, right? Oh, at, a, at an absolute minimum. Okay. For sure. And, I mean, if you want to really, really get down to it, there are 
typically, under most states, there's templates that are actually available that you can go pull those off of uh, various different bar associations. Like it's it, an, it is important enough that they will say, hey, here's a document that you can go put over into place because we think it is so important that we would rather you have a subpar document that is not prepared by an attorney that you're doing yourself rather than not have anything at all. Yeah, so if your young family, even an older family, you're just getting by, but you have kids, mm-hmm. or you have... You can do this relatively inexpensive. It doesn't have yep. to be an expensive endeavor. Um, with that said, Casey, I appreciate the insight. We're going to have a follow-up show that we're going to cover some irrevocable trust strategies. But then in addition to that, I think we're going to do one with some gifting stuff too yeah. because we have a lot of questions that revolve around gifting. And we're going to try to have a little segment here pretty frequently until we get through some of these things. Um and we're fortunate to have you on staff because when we have questions about clients, we have a, we have a person we get to go. I mean, I'm yet to <laughs> the get door a, knocks. The door knocks have increased well, in frequency. <laughs> I'm yet to get a bill. I don't know where the hourly rate is, but you know, keep going like that. But, uh, but with that said, if anybody's looking for help, go to btwellshow.com. Just click get help. We can get you in touch with Casey if you have a question. Um, you have any closing thoughts you want to say, Casey? Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, this stuff is important, right? Get it done. All right. Well, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're not following us, you can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, X. Uh, it's btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The information provided is not to be considered legal advice for any individual and does not create a client-attorney relationship. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments and Wealth Management and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice, please consult your tax professional. Premier Investments and Wealth Management and LPL Financial do not provide legal advice, please consult your attorney.